Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Nerd Talk, my guest is Brent Day. Brent is a college professor. He's a foot nerd. He's a strength conditioning coach. And in our conversation, we talk about the foot nerd program. We talk about the five pillars of health. And we talk about the future of online education in a post-COVID world. Uh, we also chat about Brent's experience as a strength coach, uh, strength conditioning coach, and how he applies the five pillars when he works with his athletes. Really enjoyed the conversation with Brent and hope you find the conversation useful. This episode of the show is brought to you by our newly launched education platform called Beam Tribe. The four letters used to spell the word beam stand for body, experience, awareness, and mind. And although the practice component of the platform is based on the balance beam tool, Beam Tribe also has a theory section that includes content aimed to improve your understanding of concepts related to health. And we also cover actionable tools that you can start using in your life to make progress every day on your health journey. Really what we wanted to do is create a GPS for health, something that helps guide you and keeps you on the right path and helps you avoid getting lost along the way. If you check out beamtribe.com, we've made a bunch of the videos available for free. And if you want full access, you can officially join the tribe by purchasing an annual membership. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. Check out the roasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout. You'll get seven bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality hard cases that keep your electronics safe when you travel. You can check out what they offer at nanook.com. That's it for sponsors. So let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. My guest today on this episode of Nerd Talk is Brent De- Brent Day, aka Real Kinetic Fitness on Instagram. Brent lives in Port Moody, British Columbia. He's a foot nerd. He's a professor in kinesiology department at Langara College in Vancouver. He's a strength and conditioning coach, and he was kind enough to give us some of his time this morning to have a conversation. So here we are. Brent, thanks for taking the time this morning, and welcome to the show. You bet. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me on. No worries. So maybe a good place to start, which we always seem to do, is um, with you sharing who you are, you know, um, you know, what you're all about, what gets you out of bed every morning, and uh, yeah, the Coles notes on who is Brent Day. Sure, not a problem. Um, so, as you said, my name's Brent. Uh, I uh, live in Port Moody, and uh, my main profession is a uh, teacher, professor at Langara College in the kinesiology department. I've do, been doing that for about 15 years now. Cool. Um, my side little project is Real Kinetic Fitness, which is a strength and conditioning company that uh, helps athletes and um not just athletes, I guess everybody really help achieve some fitness and, and health goals. Uh, and my main goal with Real Kinetic Fitness is to essentially take performance and health and try and integrate them uh, into a way to help people achieve goals. Uh, so I've been doing that for about uh, five years now. And um, yeah, I don't work with a, a ton of people. I, I try and, and limit myself so I'm not uh, I'm not burning myself out because uh, father of two young boys and um, you know they keep me pretty busy as well. So uh, I just do a lot of the the Instagram and the online connections with Real Kinetic Fitness and and try to help people and, and educate people through that platform as well. 
looking to maybe do a couple uh, different things with the online platform, especially with uh, the Foot Nerd program as well, and 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 try and expand my reach and, and help people. Um, cool, man. Well, you're doing a great job. I really love the posts and. Um, I mean, you just kind of listed off two full-time jobs and, um, <laughs> among other things. So yeah, you sound like a very busy guy, but you seem to be, um, still pumping out really great content, a lot of creativity with the beam. And I love seeing, uh, you know, I think seeing kids play on Instagram is very inspiring for adults to just understand that, Oh, okay. That looks like fun. I can actually do that. It's not just for kids. And, um, yeah, very interesting. So, you know, maybe we can just start with the Footner program at the start. You know, like what attracted you to the community and what sort of value have you gotten from it in, um, you know, in your opinion? Well, what attracted um, me to the Footner program was uh, just just the, the, the platform of, of what it is and um, just how how it's evolved um since i i mean i've i've known about it for about a year um i've only been part of it for i guess since february so a couple months but just within that short time i've seen it really evolve into um really almost like a high power machine uh that is is helping people in so many different ways um and you know, when I first kind of came to it and looked at it and saw it uh, online, um, I was like, okay, I'm interested in, in you know, understanding uh, foot health more. And so I was looking at it and I was just all of a sudden, it was like, okay, well, this is way more than just foot health. This is total body health and um, even, you know, mindfulness and, and almost like psychology and in, in, in human health. And I'm like, okay, this is this is exactly what I teach at Langara. Um, and I just felt like, okay, this is something that's going to make me a better professor, a better strength and conditioning coach, a better person. Uh, and I just had to be part of it. And I just really, you know, wanted to, to, to join this collective group that are out there trying to help people, um, you know, become better and, and healthier and understand that, you know, the, health is foot up and it's, you know, it's, it was just, you know, it was exciting. Um, and just, you know, seeing your passion for it and then the other foot nerd nerds passion for it, it, it it's contagious. And I just really wanted to be part of that circle. And so I thought, okay, I better apply for this and, and see if I can get in. And then once I got in, I was super excited and just, you know, dove into the program and uh, it's, it's really inspired me and, and a lot of the posts that I've been putting up lately on, on real, um, real connect fitness on my Instagram, you know, a lot of those posts wouldn't have happened if I wasn't part of this program. Um, I get a lot of my content, um, and a lot of my thoughts from, you know, the various, uh, the various notes and program, um, uh, program videos and uh, podcasts that you suggest to listen to and the books that we uh, have read. And it's just been, it's been really interesting and it's been really engaging. Um, and I've been excited to, to be part of it. And for me, um, 
I'm excited to actually integrate it into my, my teaching next year uh, with my health class that I'm going to be doing. And um, I think it's really going to change the, the way I teach too. So very cool. Well, thank you for being part of it and engaging too, because it's, you know, I always tell people the curriculum with the Footner program uh, is sort of this constantly perpetually evolving thing, right? It's like its own organism. And I think this whole thing with having the power of collective knowledge of all these different health leaders from all over the world coming together, sharing their experience, supporting each other to just be better, right? To improve, whether you're a physician or you're a physio or you're just someone working to be healthy or you're a university professor. I think all these different perspectives that we get essentially come into this, you know, like milkshake of amazingness where we get all these different perspectives. We get all these different people putting energy into learning. And then when they learn, they can share with the tribe, share with the community. We can implement that into the curriculum. So I just think it's like this very, um, it's basically a learning super organism where it's not only has some community support where you can reach out to other people for help or for inspiration, but the fact that we can all contribute, you know, 1% of our knowledge and create this ongoing evolving database of information that's just, you know, at the leading edge of, of what we know today because knowledge is impermanent and this whole textbook model is kind of silly when you look at the grand scheme of things. You know, we're in the age of technology. We have unlimited information. Information is no longer the most valuable thing. It's clarity that's the most valuable thing. And just allowing people to do their own experiments in their own life and then just kind of like taking the results from those experiments and seeing how it compares to other people, I think is very, um, very powerful. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how you implement um, the stuff in the curriculum and in your teaching. And um, I'm, I'm excited for down the road, uh, which is probably not going to be the too distant future to um, start to be able to get more people on board as kind of like core quote unquote faculty people that are contributing to the curriculum. Because I think you have a, a lot of knowledge from just your years of teaching um, and uh, yeah, it's really just a matter of finding people that want to contribute to the curriculum and creating an opportunity for them to make income for putting energy into this thing that just keeps building. So um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And like you said, it, was, it really started with just, okay, I think people want to understand more about feet. So we started, I just kind of took a repository of everything I had ever learned from, you know, myself and Mike. Um, and put it in there, whether it was podcasts or books. Cause I was like, you know, I'm, I don't have any special brain horsepower. I've just curated a bunch of things, a bunch of people that I've listened to. So why don't I just put this into a, you know, a, a package that people can then access. And then, you know, over time, the realization that, you know what, information alone doesn't really get people to change, right? They can understand all the information in the world, but if they don't actually implement it, if they don't understand the path of implementation to change their behaviors, then the information kind of gets wasted. So that's when we went down the rabbit hole of, you know, behavior change and what the role that the environment plays. And so it's kind of, it's this interesting roller coaster that uh, I'm excited to just keep rolling with as the tribe expands. So, yeah. And the, the, the thing that I, I really like about it and I think a lot of people can get from it is um, just the, the simplicity of how, uh, you know, behavioral change or, or health change or health j journey can be. I think a lot of people, you know, they think, okay, I, you know, I'm not as healthy as I'd like to be. I need to make some changes. Um, and they just overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, with, you know, the age we're in, we're in right now, 
Um, you know, there's so much information, there's so much to do and, and so many ways you can make a change and so many resources you can go to. It can be super overwhelming to be like, okay, like, what do I use? Where do I go? Who do I right. see? And um, I think our group is, you know, a group where it can be simplified for people and it can be helpful because if we think about like just in my strength and conditioning practice, um, you know, like the, the age of training right now is one that is just, it's unbelievable. The, the amount of information you can get, the amount of different type of training you can do. It's right. like, if you hire me to be a trainer and, and, and you say, Brent, I really want you to train me for the next year. And I want to do something different every single day for the next year. <laughs> I think I could probably accomplish that. Right. I think right. I could so literally true. give you a different exercise plan every day for a year with the amount of training that there is. <laughs> so you have to figure out how do you, how do you, you know, dial that in to, to a training program or a health program? How do you figure it out? Um, and not overwhelm yourself because I think a lot of people, when they go on their health journey, um, one of the reasons why they're not overly successful is because they just can't simplify it for themselves because there's just too much information. Yep. I agree. And it's so much, it's so energy intensive to try and do the filtering process. If you have really no, no rudder, right? Like if you're just thrown into the world of the internet and you're motivated to change your health, but you have no rudder, it's like, all your energy gets spent trying to figure out what's true and what's not and what could work. And, and there's no energy left to actually do. Right. And like you said, I think people look at health as this really big overarching thing. That's really intimidating. And they're like, Oh my God, I have so many, there's so many changes I need to make, but it's like, actually the change that you make tonight in two minutes is the most important thing because it's mm -hmm. actually starting. And I think, you know, I, I've been, Oh, I've, I went down a deep rabbit hole in the past month. Uh, into behavior change. So BJ Fogg's work with tiny habits and just understanding behavioral models and the fact that any behavior you want to uninstall or install, you know, a lot of people fail to do, to make changes, you know, okay. New year's resolutions, for example, you know, people go yeah. on a lifestyle diet where they're like, I want to eat better. Yeah. But they don't, number one, they don't know what eating better means. And number two, they don't actually understand why they're doing the things they, they don't want to be doing, but can't stop doing. And it really boils down to like, it's not a character flaw or a motivation problem. It's just a design problem. You, you haven't taken the right approach to design in good behaviors and to design out bad behaviors that you want to stop doing. And when you break it down with models, it's like, this is so simple. And I think one of the biggest things is people don't know how small, small is, right? That, like how tiny you can start. You know, he talks, he gives the example of you want to floss your teeth. We'll start by flossing one tooth every night. And it's like, someone's like, well, what the hell is flossing one tooth going to do? Well, it's 100% more than you're doing right now. So that's, you know, this idea of starting small, I think, even in my own life, um, has been so incredibly powerful because then it's easy to scale. But just starting and just like beginning and understanding these behaviors is, um, yeah, there's going to be a behavior design uh, chapter added to the behavior change module. And I'm pretty excited about it because I've been just obsessed over it because <laughs> now I realize all my, all my bullshit that I do. I'm like, Oh, that's why it's not a me problem. It's just, I haven't gone about it the right um, Yeah. Now, what do you think about the five pillars of health? So this was kind of a concept 
you know, it's an abstraction in order to just kind of gain a bit of clarity. You know, I know mm-hmm. our health world loves to isolate and take reductionist standpoints. And I don't think, you know, the intention wasn't to use the five pillars as a way to isolate and separate different areas, but I think it's helpful to find out what, you know, it, in the conversations I've had with people, it helps them understand how to identify the low hanging fruit so they can see, okay, if I want to prioritize, what is my, what pillar needs the most love right now? Which one am I struggling most with? And maybe that's a good place to start putting your attention um, in order to lead into the others. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. What I like about, uh, the five pillars of health. And before going into this, um, into the foot nerd program, I always use the, the, the wellness continuum as sort of a similar process to, to help improve health. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so what I find is when I, with the, the wellness wheel, if you know, it's, it, there's just too many working parts to it. Um, and you go, you know, you have your, your mental, your social, your environmental, your, your physical, your, uh, envi- or your uh, financial and your occupational. And it, it's, I found it, it was getting a little bit overwhelming for mm-hmm. students. And when I was, when I was teaching it, and then when I read the five pillars of health, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Like this, it's, it goes back to that simplicity. Mm-hmm. Like you have five key components um, and you just work on those five key components and you just try and build them up as right. your, your foundation. And I just, I just find them to be um, exactly what humans need in order to succeed in their health journey. Um, and they're really the five ones that are crucial to that health journey. And one thing I've been playing around with, and, and one thing I do a lot of in, in my teaching is I always create like pyramids to explain mm-hmm. things. I mean, a lot of my students, I start drawing a pyramid up on the whiteboard and they're like, Oh God, here's this guy with his pyramids again. <laughs> so I'm trying to, to figure out, cause I think the five pillars of health could be built into a pyramid actually, because I agree. you know, they can <laughs> layer themselves, <laughs> they can layer themselves and um, create, you know, optimal health. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what would be the, the base and what would be the top. Uh, with those five pillars. Um, well, it's a thought experiment. What are your What are your thoughts on it so far? Because I, I've played around with it too, and every time I try and play around with it, I'll like listen to a podcast and be like, "Oh shit, that's not the way that it should be." But I think I have yeah. a. I think I know what the base is. I'd be curious to hear what your prelim thoughts. You know, not, I I think we both agree that we reserve to re- the right to change our mind tomorrow, as because we're learning every day. So you're allowed to change your mind. Um, yeah. But nice to air out concepts. Um, yeah. What do you think? Um, right now, I would say uh, the base would be food. Um, I think when it comes to health journey, I think what we eat is going to be really determining um, our health and how, you know, how substantial our health is because food will, food will, it will affect everything. 
right? Like it will affect how we sleep. It can affect um, how we move. It's going to affect our capacity to think. Um, Food is a huge part of community, right? Like yesterday was Mother's Day. How many of us had a social distancing Mother's Day um, and it involved food, right? Like, so right now my early thoughts is I would put food at the base of the pyramid, but you know, last week I was like, Oh, I think sleep should be at the base of the pyramid. Um, (laughs) so it's like you say you can change, but, um, the more I look at it, I'm kind of thinking food may be the, the base just because of, of how it can affect the four other components. So. Interesting. Yeah, I did this. I did a podcast with James in Australia and we kind of made, you know, put these five pillars, wrote them down on paper. And we're like, well, how does, how does, how do they each affect each other? And are, are there bi-directional relationships? And then as we dug into it, we're like, holy shit, everything affects everything, which, yeah. you know, can be almost overwhelming when you think of it like that. But, <laughs> but it also makes sense, right? We're a system of systems. And, you know, I would have, I thought for sure, that sleep was the base because I just thought that sleep is something that is very accessible to people where they, they can't, if they prioritize it, they can change their sleep behaviors. But recently I think uh, uh, what's going through my mind in terms of models is that the mind is the base because your mindset, you know, deciding on what your values are and making up your mind that you identify as a healthy person is what allows you to prioritize, to think about the food you eat, to think about the fact that sleep is important and deserves to be prioritized, right? Like your mindset of how you view yourself, your identity and how you view, you know, one of the questions I I, I love to ask and I've started to ask now is, is um, the definition of healthy. So we'll talk about that at the end, but I think people's definition of what being a healthy person is, is a big part of whether they identify as being healthy or not. Because I think right. it's a flawed definition right now. I think people's definition of healthy is, has very little um, deep kind of connection to what healthy actually is when you break it down. Because, you know, the, the shredded lean person who runs five marathons a year, I think is the, what people think of as healthy. But I know people like that and they're not healthy at all. And I yeah. also know people who are in pain and overweight and they have decided that they are going to be a healthy person. And so every single day they do something to improve their health, which is a big part of what I define as someone being healthy is just having mm-hmm. a mindset that, okay, I just have to start and I'm going to put energy every single day into my health process. And it doesn't matter the state I'm in. It matters the mindset I'm taking moving forward. So yeah, I'm sure the five pillars. And one thing I like about the footnote program is no, it's a safe space for meaningful disagreement. Like you can disagree right. with me. I can disagree with Jeff and it's all good. That's, I, I think a community without disagreement is not a very effective community at figuring out the truth. Well, how and do you, how do you get better? If you have a, a community of just everyone agreeing, how, how does, how does that community become better? Because it just, I agree. it just, yeah. it just can't, right? Like you need it's people like it has pushing no one another. Immune system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah see, I, but yeah, I think the five pillars, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I think for me, mind would be at the top um, because I mean, the mind, the mind is, is the ed, end game, right? Like I think the healthier we are in terms of 
our, our sleep, our movement, our food, our community all leads to a, a better mindset and a better mind frame and, and better mental health. Um, right. And one reason why I think that is if I go to another one of my pyramids here, the, the athlete pyramid um, that I work with quite a bit, uh, you know, when I develop athletes and, and I, I go with, there's four key components of, of becoming a, a, a great athlete. And uh, the first component is the physical aspect um, of the athlete. And then after that, it's the technical. And then after that, it's tactical. And then at the top, it's, it's the mental side of an athlete. Um, and then each one of those layers, you know, the bigger the layer, the, the greater the athlete. And it, it all starts with the physical component, you know, like having the strength to be an athlete, having the conditioning to be an athlete. And the greater that physical base is, well, then the better the technical um, skills of that athlete is, right? So if we look at a basketball player, for example, if they have a great aerobic and anaerobic ability, um, you know, they'll be able to maintain their skill set for a longer period of time during a game. Um, that's going to help improve the coach's tactical side of the game because he'll, he or she'll be able to um, rely on that athlete for a longer period of time. Right. So if it's like an athlete like LeBron James and LeBron James can play 38 minutes of the entire game, well, that's going to completely change the tactics of the entire game. If that athlete has a physical component to maintain those skills for a long period of time. And then that's just going to increase the mental capacity, um, the, the confidence, the, you know, getting into the zone uh, of the game. And it all stems with that physical ability. And so I kind of think with the, the five pillars of health, it would be the same. You know, if you have a big base and you finally get to the peak of the pyramid and then your mind frame is just going to be better because of everything else is, is helping you get to that point. Um, mm -hmm. So that's just, again, just my spitball of my pyramid philosophies yeah yeah i like it and i mean i yeah it's always a chicken or the egg right is it the mindset yeah. that allows you to drudge through all the conditioning and all the all the things to build that base or is it by doing that are you sharpening a mindset and i think it's both right it's always the answer is always it depends or both yeah <laughs> um, but i yeah it's it's just a very interesting thought experiment and what i especially love is that you know, we, we all, I think, I think everyone is trying to improve their objectivity, but the reality is that we all look at these concepts like the five pillars of health through the lens that we've built over our entire lifetime. So if you work with athletes, if you come from a teaching environment, if you have a personal history of seeing those five pillars in a certain way in your own life, um, then that is what your opinion is going to be based on. And I think it's, it's something where, we might never agree on the order because our lenses are just different. But I think yeah. it's hearing you talk about it in that way makes me think a bit differently about my perspective. And I think that's the whole point with something like a, a community of health leaders is like, it's mm -hmm. good cross pollinate. It's good to make you question your assumptions um, because it's really easy to never do that. And I don't think in school we're often 
told how to memorize, like we basically learned how to do good on tests in, in school for yeah. the most part. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and, and I think it, there's not really any uh, push to letting people challenge the status quo, right? Like you're, you're taught to learn, you're not taught to challenge or ask questions. And I think being in a community after you've done your formal learning is a really powerful way to put all these base assumptions or things that you've learned to the test. And I think that's where these like, you know, it's like a garden where we have a hundred people putting ingredients in and then you get these things that blossom out where you're like, Oh, I didn't know that was going to come out of it, but that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I think that's just this really, and it's the age of technology that's allowed this. Like this is not like how the hell else would we have been able to have over 115 people from different countries all over the planet, all be able to interact on this common ground um, of discussion and of learning. And it's pretty, sometimes I just go for a walk and I think about how crazy the world is right now in both good and bad ways, but I think way more good if used in the right way. And it's like, it's pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's what, that's what, it's so cool about this program and it just makes it so unique and, and you know, it's, it's own organism really is, is just how we can have so many different people from so many different walks of life. And, you know, we have people all over the world who are helping and it's just the, the, the reach um, of the program is just huge. And, you know, if it keeps going and it keeps evolving, it's just going to become this superpower of health information. And I mean, that's, you know, obviously the, the goal is, is to, to help as many people, but it, it, you know, it's, it's like you've talked about before it's, you know, let's say, you know, my reach is 10 people, you know, your reach is a thousand people, you know, Jeff's reach is, 500 people, Clayton's reaches, you know, 50 people, whatever it is, right? Like there's a whole bunch of people who have been helped who wouldn't have had the help if this program didn't exist. And that's, you know, it's awesome. Like that's just awesome to think, you know, right. It's like an impact multiplier. I always tell people like the goal is always to maximize your health impact. Right. And it's, and I think that's technology plays a really big part in maximizing that impact because you're not limited by your local community. You can have a digital community from all over the world and you can reach each of those people who are, you know, who, who decide to consume the, the, the stuff that you're putting out. And if it can add value to their life, well, it's pretty crazy how big you can impact people through just inspiration or empowerment with some education. Um, yeah, it is pretty cool. And I think we get this, you know, this whole um, kind of feature called emergence in in complex adaptive systems is pretty, is something that I kind of nerded out on for a bit where, you know, like uh, I think the one of the best analogies is like uh, a neuron. A neuron on its own is just a cell. It's pretty dumb. It doesn't really do much. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> Uh, but if you put a bunch of them together, they create consciousness and it's like right. no one could have ever <laughs> predicted that the combination of all those things creates this complex emergent behavior. And I think it's like even schools of fish, right? You see all these schools of fish that swim around in these weird patterns all together in unison mm-hmm. and they don't do that alone. They only do it when around others that share a common like wavelength of behavior. And I think we're going to get a lot of emergent 
things coming out of this collective intelligence we're building through this through a bunch of people. Um, and even let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about your experience with education because I. Okay. You, know, you've been, you said you've been a professor for 15 years at Langara. Um, maybe talk about what made you want to go into teaching and, and, and even some of the changes that you've seen throughout your, I mean, 15 years is a long time for, for as a career so far. You know, how have you seen things change in the education world and how have you adapted your approach to teaching um, based on the changes you're seeing in the world? Right. Okay. Um, so how I became uh, a teacher at Lancaster is kind of an interesting story because um, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's, you know, if you put out positivity into the world and you have enthusiasm and energy and you're, um, you know, you, you make connections, uh, that's really how I became a teacher. Um, and a professor at Langara is I was working with um, a elite basketball team as their strength and conditioning coach. And uh, the team went to the Canada summer games in 2005. And so I was working with, um, working with that team and, and went into the Canada summer games and um, the, the chef de mission for team BC was, his name was AJ Patel. And uh, I didn't know who this person was at all until going into this. And, and he just started talking to me and I talked to him and, and we just, you know, within this one week period of time, sort of forged a little bit of a, a friendship and a relationship. Um, and then after the, the games, I never really thought about it or, you know, and then I bumped into him a, a couple months later uh, and we were just talking and he's like, Oh, he's like, like asked me about my strength and conditioning and everything. And he's like, you know, you should come to Langara. I can, I can probably get you to, to, to teach a couple courses. I have these uh, phys ed courses that uh, the criminal justice uh, students um, do to help them get ready for their, uh, their, all their physical tests. He's like, I think you'd be you know, great at doing that. Cool. Um, and so, so anyways, I, I didn't have my master's at the time. And, and he's like, Oh, He's like, you need a master's degree. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't have a master's degree. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, and then from there, a job uh, in the athletic department at Langara came open, and I applied for it and, and got it. Um, and then so I was working in the athletics department, and he w- uh, and then he became the department chair at, at the kinesiology. And, and anyways, he just kept pushing me to, to do my master's through my master's. So finally, I did my master's. And then as soon as I finished and came back from my master's, he had me in the classroom almost basically like two weeks after that. That's um, yeah. So uh, what did you do your master's in? Uh, it did it in uh, its master's in exercise science, and cool. uh, it's from Edith Cohen University in Perth, Australia. Oh, um, very cool. Yeah, and uh, my focus was in strength and conditioning, specifically uh, with periodization. So my final uh, master's uh, thesis was on uh, periodization and how it uh, impacts uh, basketball players. So hmm. and. Uh, Anyway, so I, it's almost like I fell into it. Um, <laughs> I, I never even crossed my mind to be a, a college professor. Uh, it was 
fully in the strength and conditioning path. And then I went into this, uh, started teaching these criminal justice students um, how to prepare for their, uh, their various, their tests. Um, and then it just evolved from there. And, and 15 years later, I'm, you know, teaching four or five different courses and the department chair of the kinesiology program. So it's, uh, it's just funny how it, it, it can work. And, and that's why I always tell people and, and students is like, you never know that person that you met today, what, what type of impact they could have in your life. Right. And so that's why it's like every person that you meet, you know, be just be as friendly as possible because you just don't know. You just, right. you just have no clue. Um, and so, yeah, so um, the universe my... conspires alongside you if you if you are just kind and curious. That's my theory. It will just yeah, you will get so much good juju from just being nice and being curious and and like just connecting with people. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I mean, I put something up um, that I heard Jeff say from one of your uh, podcasts, and I wrote it down and I actually put it on Instagram and and. He he said this and it just it really resonated with me. It was when you do what you love and you put out an amazing energy into the world, it creates passion, happiness, and excitement. People will want to share that by being around you, they'll want to work with you. And yep. it's so true in so many ways because you know, it's just it, it it people when you have a certain energy, people are drawn to it, right? Yep. It's like and, a magnet. Uh, Exactly. And it's just, it's, it's just the way I always lived my life. And it's, it's, I mean, it's brought me a lot of happiness and a lot of success. So cool. Anyways, it kind of went off on a tangent there. That's okay. And, and, well, yeah. just, and you know, in 15 years, I'm sure there's been a lot of changes in not only how and what you teach, but just as a global, uh, you know, from a more global perspective, how, how we learn right? Like mm -hmm. I, I think the situation we're right now, today's May 11th and, you know, we're in the middle of this very strange situation where, you know, the digital platforms, um, you know, I was having this conversation last night at a family dinner and it's like, I think we just made a decade of progress in being able to consume knowledge, like in terms of formal education and work even remotely. I think we just made a decade's worth of progress in being able to work and learn remotely in, in like two months because we had to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, you know, interesting to see how that affects um, the future of education. And, and you know, because like right now, how are your students um, learning? Like what are the strategies being taken right now by Langara to, to be able to allow students to continue their learning without having to be on, on campus? Yeah, so we, um, the moment essentially when everything sort of went into the, you know, the social distancing, we immediately switched to online education and, and everyone had to finish um, their last, I think it was four weeks plus final exams um, online. Um, for some, for some faculty, it was not a problem. And for other faculties, it was a hard transition. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it wasn't a problem. I actually, I, I teach uh, a couple of courses online uh, as well. So cool. I already had the experience and, and know-how of, of how to make that switch. But mm -hmm. for other people, it was, it was challenging. Um, 
but uh, I think everyone did. I mean, what was really great, especially in our department, we all really came together and help help one another. Um, so awesome. if anyone was sort of struggling and, and you know wasn't too sure what to do, um, people supported, which was which was good. Um, cool. So, so uh, yeah, we finished the semester off, and then the summer semester, which started last week, uh, again is the entire semester's online, um, and uh, it's looking like the fall maybe the same. Um, we might, uh, I think it might be eighty-five or ninety percent of courses may be online in the fall, and then courses that need to be on campus are going to have some major restrictions, but. Um, yeah, so we transitioned to online, and um, I mean, just from my experience and, and my understanding of online teaching since I've, I've been doing it is, I mean, I can deliver the same experience online that as I can in class hmm. um, because of how I can use technology to my advantage. Like if I look at um, like my course, like one of the courses I teach online is uh, it's a first year anatomy and physiology course. It's just like an introduction to anatomy and physiology that our department designed years ago because we were noticing that we had such a really high fail rate for our main anatomy and physiology courses because for some people they just get anatomy and physiology some people it is a grind um and so we designed this basic first year it's like you take it the first time you come into to you know the like soon as you come into kinesiology department you're taking this 1100 course uh, this basic anatomy and physiology so i teach that one online um and just with technology, I like all my lectures that I give online are exactly the same as how I would do it in class. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a bit of an advantage because if you come to my class, I present that lecture, that's it, right? If you <laughs> right. take my online course, I present that lecture online, well, it's available to you all year, right? right? Or all, all semester. So you, you can go back to it as much as you want. Um, And then the labs I do with uh, visible body um, anatomy and physiology app. Um, And then I basically just walk them through the, the anatomy of, of muscles and bones with that. Um, Again, just using simple programs like, uh, you know, screen capture and screen video and just, talking over it. So, um, so I mean, I've evolved quite a bit. I mean, I started my career as basically just a a, a PE teacher for criminal justice students and then started getting into the kinesiology uh, courses. And, you know, I went from, you know, basic using PowerPoints and delivering the lecture and presenting material and, to becoming like someone who has digitally enhanced all my lectures and, and, you know, I bring various content from, you know, now I'm starting to even use Instagram as, as a way to, to, (laughs) to lecture because there's some things that you can, you know, present and say, okay, like, what do we think about this? And, 
yeah. and talk about it because a lot of people put some really good stuff on Instagram. Um, I agree. And, uh, you know, so it's, it can be used as a teaching tool. So, I mean, I've, I try to bring as much as I possibly can in um, with one course I teach. It's called Advanced Principles and Resistance Training. Um, it's a third year course. Uh, and we, it's basically just to prepare to, to write the NSCA's certified strength and conditioning specialist exam. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I bring in as much technology, like we use, uh, the gym aware, um, velocity based training system to talk about, you know, strength and power, um, being bowering timing gates in to show speed. Like I just, Fortunately, I have a, a good budget with Langara, so I can bring in some nice equipment. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I I'm a bit of a, a technology geek when it comes to uh, you know a lot of a lot of my teaching, a lot of my training, and so I expose them to that. Uh, and the reason I do is because I want them to be able to make informed decisions. So when I teach. I don't want to just teach at them. I just don't want to be preaching at them and saying, this is, you know, this is the way it is and this is how things are. I want, I want them to learn, but most importantly, I want them to be able to make informed decisions for themselves. Because if I have a, someone who wants to be a physiotherapist or a strength and conditioning coach or, or teacher, um, that's the most important skill I think is to be able to make an informed decision to take all this information that's out in the world and decide what's going to be best for their philosophy. And so that's my main goal. And, um, you know, I use as as much as I possibly can. And, um, yeah. And I, like I said, I, I incorporate as much technology as I possibly can, whether it's in the online courses or, it's on the, uh, uh, in class courses. Amazing. Yeah. I think, you know, technology is always, there's always yin and yang, right? Like you can create extremely rich experiences now from afar, like digitally, but I'd be very curious to see what the flip side is because I know, you know, we live in a unique time where, you know, we basically live in an age of distraction. And along with the fact that if you're spending more time at your computer, you're also spending more time in the jungle where there's other stuff there, right? Where there's a lot of temptations, whether it's Facebook or mm-hmm. you know, websites that you're looking at. So, you know, I, I've always felt that personally, I would have benefited a huge amount um, if, if one of the first courses I ever got in university, even in undergrad, was uh, basically an intro to learning how to learn. Because, yeah, yeah. Because you never get that, right? And no. it's like, you got to figure it out yourself. And there's probably some education mm-hmm. there, but you know, we put that um, optimized learning sort of chapter in the curriculum because I think it's, it more reflected what I thought I could benefit from if I was, you know, at the more of the start and I'm all, you know, the learning journey never ends. But if at the start of your learning journey, you could have had someone give you the basics of, you know, here's the cost of distraction. When you shift your attention, you, you don't just get right back to what you're doing. There's a refractory period. Here are ways to optimize your ability to learn by just like, scheduling time for deep work where you're focused deeply on one thing without doing a bunch of different things at the same time. And I, I think that that's probably going to be more important now in this, 
you know, new world that we're living in where digital remote work. And, and that holds true for just even people re- working remotely for, for their jobs, right? Like distraction is just a killer of productivity. And I think, um, you know, I want to, I want to kind of expand. I bought Jim, Jim Quick's book and he just talks about, he's all about learning. He had this big issue when he was younger and everyone told him his brain was broken. And now he's like the, one of the best speed readers, like in the world, coaching other people on how to improve their ability to learn. But I think taking inspiration from him and creating a more robust chapter on, or even set of chapters on just optimizing your learning. I think that, you know, people always talk about, you know, I, I look at learning as downloading information and people always talk about, Oh, I got to find more time to download. It's like, well, why don't you just, if you tripled your download rate, you'd probably be able to spend less time, but accomplish more shit. And I think, um, that's probably gonna be way more relevant now. So it'd be interesting yeah. to hear the feedback from students, you know, if they're at home and they're, you know, they're less likely to be connecting with other people in person. They're less likely to be moving because they don't mm-hmm. even have to, like, they can walk four steps to their desk from their bed and that can be their, you know, <laughs> their dose of movement yeah. that they need to get to class. So yeah, yeah, it's always yin and yang, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how this summer semester ends up, um, you know, with every single class you know, there's students, you know, full-time students taking all online courses. So right. it'll be interesting to see how uh, it, it turns up and, and what their experiences are. Um, I mean, I, I think there's, I mean, obviously I don't think this is going to be a, a long-term, like the college is going to be like, Oh, this online is awesome. We're just going to stay online. <laughs> right. um, but I, I, I hope it at least, I mean, we do offer online courses at Langara, but not a ton. I, I do hope that they, you know, think, okay, well, you know, maybe we can start offering more online courses because I just think in today's climate, regardless of, you know, whether we're in this social distancing fiasco or if it's, you know, back to, to normal life, I think the way students are going to have to learn is going to be completely different because, um, just the, the way the economy is every right. student I have has to work, you know? And when you ask a student what type of job they're working, I mean, a lot of it is in the restaurant industry, you know, a lot of it is, you know, retail and everything like that. They're, you know, the, the, the biggest thing and the biggest concern I always have with my students is, so many of them working late nights, you know, yes. and, Very true. and then, you know, they're coming to my eight thirty in the morning class after they've worked till 1230. And then you, if you've ever worked a job where you've worked till 1230 at night, you know, like you're not falling asleep until a couple hours after that because right. your body's so you got to wind down before you actually fall asleep. So a lot of them are, are working on, you know, three, four hours sleep some nights. And, and it's, it's just not, it's not helpful. So I think if we can balance it where they have a few online courses, a few class courses where they go onto campus, it, it may help their physical and mental health um, because they might actually be able to work and get the sleep they need, which is going to help them learn more. And, um, and so enjoy it'll be, the learning more. 
yeah, and enjoy the learning more and, and understand more. And instead of just trying to condition themselves to get through the class and get a good grade so they can move on to the next semester and do the same thing, um, <laughs> they may actually, um, they may actually, you know, get more out of it. And I mean, that's one thing I try to accomplish as well with all my classes is I want them to be optimal learners and I want them to optimize what I'm, you know, what I'm sharing with them um, so they can use that in later life. Yeah. And instead I said, it's just forgetting about it. Yeah. Oh, dude, I couldn't agree more. Those are great points. And I think a hybrid system where there's built in flexibility, where not just online and non online courses, but you know, even intra court with each course offering some hybrid flexibility where it's like, you know, you have the option to do some of it online or, or most of the classes, most of the content rather is available online so that, you know, if you have to work late because you need to make money to pay for this degree and you get home at like 2 a.m., you don't need to show up a class at 8.30 because actually that's useless anyway. You're basically, your brain's mm -hmm. in zombie mode. You're not going to be absorbing a whole lot. Being physically present is not really, is not really <laughs> making sense there. So giving yeah. them the opportunity, you know, okay, you probably shouldn't be working till 2 a.m. every night, but if you do have to a couple nights, well, the mm -hmm. next day, get your sleep and then wake up, get some movement in and then dig into the, mm -hmm. you know, the online content so that you can actually yeah. absorb it and enjoy it. And I think, I think that's going to be one of the big things that comes out of this is just more flexibility with mm -hmm. classes, with how schools are run. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be a good thing because it allows people to tailor how they learn. And even just like certain people, learn better in by going to class certain people learn better by just being able to do you know short bursts at home at a computer or at a coffee shop and i think allowing mm -hmm. for flexibility allows people to find their groove and um be able to optimize their time a little bit more so i think that's yeah that's going to be cool yeah absolutely let's talk about high performance athlete development because that's a world that you're in and mm -hmm. i mean you brought a good point up in the in our kind of slack conversation talking about you know how, how are you implementing the principles um, that you're kind of getting from the Footner program or, or even just, you know, like how is it working with high performance athletes? Because it's a totally different, it's a, di it's a world of its own. And, you know, any, anything that you would tell yourself if you were yourself five years ago and, um, you know, about working with athletes and then how are you, yeah, Im embedding some of the principles of the Footner program into that practice? Well, I, the first thing I've been, I've been doing is I've, I've embedded the the five pillars of health into um, the high performance because I think cool. if you look at those five pillars, they not only are they there for health, I believe they're there for performance as well. Yep. And um, what one thing I do is, you know, I, I don't really, you know, a strength and conditioning coach, I work with high performance athletes, but I've always tried to incorporate performance and health because I think the principles that you um, apply to an athlete um, you can apply to someone who's just trying to become healthier right a humaning um, a humaning athlete a humaning athlete exactly and I I, I always struggle because um, when I'm talking about I, I just I don't like the term non-athlete or general population or like I just I don't like those terms when you're you know, when you're talking about someone who, you know, isn't performing it in a, on a athletic stage daily. Um, 
I had an older patient one time. She said, I want to train for the sport of life. I was like, that is an amazing sentence. That's, that is the perfect way to put it. Because <laughs> life um, requires a lot of similar attributes, whether it's mindset, whether it's physical movement. Like, it's, it's different, but they're, like you said, they're the same fundamental principles. I couldn't Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's just scaled down, right? Like, you're not right. going to have the, the pressure of, um, you know, uh, of the performance in – a, a certain stage. I mean, you're still going to have pressure for performance, but it's completely different. Yeah. But so anyways, it's, it's whether you're an athlete or whether you're a, a, a life athlete. Um, I, I believe the principles are the same and, and you can apply them. It's just obviously not everyone needs to go um, and, and train like an athlete. That's really the, the different, like the difference, right? Like I'm not, if mm-hmm. I'm working with someone who's just trying to, you know, squat better yep. versus uh, someone who's, you know, an MMA fighter who's got a fight coming up. The, the, the training is going to be completely different. Um, but the two things I, I use, or the one thing I mainly use with both is I use periodization. I, I don't care if I'm working an athlete or someone who's just trying to, to get healthier. I, I use periodization because I believe that periodization is the way to simplify training. Yeah. It's the way to take all of that information that I talked about at the beginning and really simplify it into what you need. Um, and and so, structure. yeah, and give it structure, right? And, and, and structure yourself um, and, you know, allow yourself the active recovery that you need um, so you don't overtrain. And I just, I, that's one of my main philosophies is periodization and using a lot of the foot nerd principles that I'm starting to learn. Um, I, I think they all fall into how you can, really tailor a plan with periodized principles. Um, because like I said, if, when it comes to high performance athletes, I mean, I always find high performance athletes are, are easy to train because they, they want to do it. They right. want to be at their absolute best. And the level of work they put into it is just, it's, just it's a different level um their motivation is just like full full tilt it's not something because i think for the average person you have to inspire them to lift their motivation right you have to give Mm -hmm. them clarity but you also have to like kind of motivate them you got to be their cheerleader part mostly just just to say this is actually possible right if you don't even think it's possible you're not gonna be very motivated but the athletes come in with that motivation piece pre-installed at a high level and so it makes it when you know someone's going to do exactly, they're coming to you for your expertise and you know, they're going to do everything you ask them to do. Then it's game on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of the things that I'm incorporating now, like, you know, and, and I've been doing this for a while is any athlete that I work with, like they're, they're training barefoot. Like that's, Maybe. you know, if they walk into my, my uh, garage gym here, like their shoes are off and they're, you're not coming into my gym with shoes on. Um, so that's the first, one of the main things that, that I do is it's, you know, it's, it's barefoot training. Um, 
And a lot of them, they, I mean, the ones that I work with, um, they buy into it. And I think, and it's good because they ask a lot of questions like, like, okay, like, why do you want to do this? Why do you want me to barefoot, be barefoot? And then I explain to them, you know, like right. explain to them the, how supportive the foot is and how strong it can be and, and how it can change your complete, you know, all your movement. Um, and so a lot of them do buy in and they, and they do believe in it. Um, and then the other thing I've been incorporating is the beam. I've been doing a lot of beam work with, with athletes. Cool. And um, because I, I 100% believe the beam is a mechanical ergogenic aid. It's something that is going to improve performance if you use it regularly, regardless of whether you're an athlete or you're just trying to improve your health. Um, so we incorporate beam training, use it in the warm up, use it to, you know, I have them doing stuff in between sets with it. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of maintaining that the five pillars of health within your training, because if you look at it, you know, obviously food is huge for an athlete. Movement yeah. is huge for an athlete. Um, their mind frame is huge. Um, and the community, the people that they have around them, um, you know, is, is important. So I think it all falls into, um, falls into how they can uh, improve and perform at a high level. So that's why I think the foot nerd program, I mean, we, obviously we, its main purpose is for help but or for health but i think i can draw it into performance as well i think i can turn it into um a way for our athletes to improve their performance by um living the barefoot lifestyle which isn't just about being barefoot and running around you know it's about stripping everything down it's about simplifying life and I think that's what athletes need. Like they need to simplify things because they have so much happening, so much going on, so much that they need to be able to, you know, to do and, and be on the ball about if, if they can just slow it down, simplify, I think they would be more successful. Um, and, and that's what I'm trying to really pinpoint with the athletes that I work with. And also what I'm trying to teach to um, my students who are going to be potentially future strength and conditioning coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And I think elite level performance requires uh, optimal health. Like you can't, the, the, mm -hmm. the highest performers are the people who hit all five of those pillars, right? Like yeah. you don't, you don't see executives even in the business world that sustainably stay at the top of their game if they're not respecting their health. Because at some point, shit breaks down if you're not taking care of yourself. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, whether that's poor decisions or whether that's just your body breaking down or your mind breaking down, I think that the five pillars are just as relevant for performance and realistically performance and health. Performance is just a higher level of health. It's just a more mm -hmm. intense version, but still requires the same basic foundation of health. And, you know, for, you know, I've worked with some athletes where 
their rate living step was not their training. It was the fact that they weren't sleeping. And then when they yeah. slept better, they understand. And like you said, it's about them understanding. It's not about you preaching or telling them what to do. It's about helping them understand what living in accordance with your biology actually means, right? This whole barefoot lifestyle thing really means living naturally, doing what your body was designed for, because then it can do it. It can do whatever you're asking it to do better if it's just doing what it's supposed to at a base fundamental level, right? Getting the amount of sleep that it should, Mm -hmm. having the right amount of social connections so that you can stay mentally healthy, you know, putting the right foods in your body for fuel and for recovery and for repair. I think these are, these are very fundamental things that are our requirement for sport. And I think, you know, the beam is this, this deep hole that I, 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 I went to the beam initially to calm my brain down. And I realized now that, you know, someone asked me the other day, they're like, in one sentence, what would you call the beam? And I, I called it constraints based reactive problem solving, which sounds mm-hmm. like a, fooey word, but basically it's, you don't have to think about what you're doing. Your body knows what to do. You just have to put it in an environment that it's forced to do the right stuff. Yeah. You know, whether that's concentrating and focusing on one thing, which I think is a massive benefit for people nowadays where they're constantly, you know, our attention spans as a whole have shrunken drastically because attention is now a commodity that's very profitable to steal. So if you can develop a tool that's fun, playful, has a ton of physical benefits, but most importantly, allows you to improve your control over your focus and your concentration and your mind, I think it's pretty powerful. And it's funny because the simplest, it's literally just a tube, right? Mm -hmm. And yet (laughs) how you use it. And I think that's part of the reason why we've got, you know, NHL players where we have NBA players or we have MLB players using it because they all use it for their own like individual purpose related to their Mm -hmm. specific sport. But the simplicity of the tool is what allows people to layer their creativity on top of it in any way that they want. And I think it's, it's really cool. I love your creativity on the beam too, with all the, um, you know, battle ropes and all the different progressions, because there really is limitless amounts of ways, you know, to use the beam. And, and, you know, that was one of the big incentives with creating beam tribe on the practice side is like give people some mm-hmm. form of progressive linear structure from really easy to really complex so that they can, you know, always be in that flow channel, always be at the state where, it's hard enough to keep me engaged, but it's not so hard that it's frustrating, but it's not so easy that it's boring. And it's hard, I think, for some people to gauge that themselves. But if you give them a system to find their way within, um, I think it's pretty powerful. To, and, and a big thing that you said was if you use it consistently. And I think that's a big piece. There's a difference yeah. between using the beam and then having a beam practice. And the practice yeah. might only be two minutes a day, but it's a massive game changer if you use it consistently. Oh, absolutely. And it, it like the consistency is, is the key with the beam. And I mean, with anything, the, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, it's very true with anything, but um, I mean, the movement is endless on the beam. If you consistently do it, like there's, you right. know, there's so many different things that you can teach your body to do on, on the beam. Like, you know, you're starting to do some stuff where you're jumping on it. Right. Like, yeah, it's intense. <laughs> it's yeah. It, look, I've tried a couple of them, and it's just that it, I just the mental side of it is what's in, right. What's amazing about the the jumping on the beam is is you have to bring yourself to jump and then land on it without right. you know freaking out. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's there's ways like I've been playing around with different ways to do squats on it, and you know, I've seen people doing like 
pistol squats on it. Like it's the movement is just endless. It's just, if you can consistently do it and understand you need to just start off by just learning how to balance on it with right. one foot and then, uh, and then start playing around with it. I mean, it's just, it's endless. And, and my one, my, my MMA fighter, Taylor, um, he consistently uses it and, and, uh, he put it perfectly. You know, he just said, when I'm on the beam, I just feel the brain, my brain connecting the dots. And it's just, that's just the the perfect way to put it because that's what's happening, right? Like your brain is just connecting the dots of movement on that beam. So, yeah. And I think one of my favorite things, and the reason I used to always use it in clinic when I was spending time in clinic is what I call the win cycle. So a win is, you know, accomplishing a task and seeing immediate feedback that you just improved. And I think the win cycle is the amount of time that it takes for you to, for you to get that feedback. And the beautiful thing about the beam is like the first time you step on it, you stand on it for two seconds and you fall off. And then the next time you stand on it, you stand on it for 10 seconds. That's a, that's a win. Cause you just, mm-hmm. you just literally did 300% improvement <laughs> yeah. and it's all just neurological. It's all just like integration related nerves firing. It's just problem solving. And, and I love how you don't, you know, everyone, this is this trend that I see at seminars when we do the, the beam stuff, people are like, well, what do I do? Where does, where do my arms go? Where do people are so used to being told exactly how to do something where when you tell yeah. them like, just don't look down, don't fall off well, what do I do? Just don't look down, don't fall off. And then finally they get it. They're like, oh, there's actually no wrong way of doing it. Oh, like, yes, that's the point. It's a blank canvas. Paint it however you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. So but, we were going to talk about meat, but I think, I think what we'll do is let's save, let's do a food episode in and of itself because I think, sure. um, you know, we're both you know, on our food learning journeys. And I think my perception of food and nutrition and that whole world has changed drastically. And it's actually one of the only pillars that the more I investigate, the simpler it gets, because usually it goes in the other direction. So I think we should do an episode on food just to itself. And we'll talk about meat because it's a very polarizing topic. But I think there's absolutely some need for some, you know, logical, rational conversation and airing out the nuances because there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So maybe in closing, I have uh, a couple questions that I'm starting to ask people in closing because I think they're kind of questions that I uh, frequently revisit and I think are important for us to just find clarity as a community on what, you know, what are the definitions of these things. One of the first one is not so much one of those concepts, but um, asking people what their keystone habits are. So, you know, these, these habits, these crucial daily habits that have a multiplier effect on your life and on your day and on your other habits, uh, what would you say your keystone habits are? My keystone habits, um, are, it definitely start, um, the night before, uh, when I just, you know, boys are asleep. Um, I read a little bit. Uh, and then I try to get to bed, you know, a reasonable hour. And then if I can get to bed at a reasonable hour, I'm up at five 30 in the morning. I go down, uh, to my workstation. Um, I balance on the beam for about two minutes, sometimes five, depending how I feel. Uh, I drink two cups of water and, I go into a squat position with my feet together, close my eyes for 60 seconds 
and uh, it's that's sort of like my my meditation for the day cool um and i sit there for 60 seconds i try to think about nothing other than my body shifting trying to reset itself um once i done that i feel awake i feel ready and i feel good to do deep work um and then i try to get uh, an hour and a half two hours of work before the boys wake up and then and then it's just let's see what happens once they get up um <laughs> and then so but those are those are my keystone habits if 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 i can you know calm myself down to get a good night's sleep wake up and just spend that it's about a 10 minute practice of just beam work getting into the squat kind of meditating and drinking the two cups of water i feel i feel good and i feel like i'm going to accomplish something throughout the day amazing and i love how you know this question the more i'm asked the more i'm asking the people the more i realize that the morning routine is a really is a, a one of the biggest things people mention and i love how your mention of that started the night before because i'm a firm believer that your pm routine your bedtime routine is one of the primary determinants of the success of your morning routine absolutely i spoke to someone recently and they said you know i think they're like if you nourish yourself you can then nourish others and i really thought about that a lot i'm like that is so true because people that don't you know, it's, you know, a good morning routine or, or self-care, whatever you want to call it. It's selfish, but it's also selfless because by mm-hmm. being selfish and taking care of yourself, you put yourself in the best position to be a better father, husband, mm-hmm. wife, parent. I think it's super powerful. And I think people just underestimate the power of a morning routine and also overestimate how difficult it is to create one because yours is 10 minutes. Some people yeah. might only be a minute, but the, 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 the important thing to, is to start and to start, you just need to start, right? Like yeah, exactly. Something. You just need to do it. You just need to do it. And you just need to start, uh, you know, like I've talked to James about his morning routine in Australia and his is about two hours and mine's about, mine's getting up to two hours too, but that, that doesn't happen. Like you, you craft that over like a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and I think it's just something where if more people knew the power of owning your morning and how how beneficial it could be to take some time with your thoughts and, you know, drink some water and do something to, to get movement in and wake your body up. Um, you know, you, you don't know what you're missing until you get it. And I think mm-hmm. absolutely that's a powerful part. We're going to do a couple of awareness videos on in beam tribe on morning routine and just trying to, trying to find the way in to reach people so that they're motivated and empowered enough to just try to start to create their morning routine. So yeah, very cool. Um, another question that I'm starting to ask now is how do you define healthy? When someone says, I, you know, I want to be healthy. And I started to ask people this, they're like, Oh, my goal is to be healthy. And the biggest, the first thing I ask when someone says, that is, what do you define as healthy? And then they don't know. They're like, okay, so you want to be something you don't even know how to define. It's going to be really hard to get to the target if the target doesn't exist. So yeah, when someone says, you know, I want to be healthy, what do you define as healthy? Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny you ask that question. It's, um, I teach this one course, uh, it's exercise management and health. And that's the first question I ask students, like when we go through sort of the introduction of one another, mm-hmm. I ask them, like, what's 
you know, what's your definition of health? What you, what do you believe health is? And I would say probably 90% of them go right into the physical side of health, you know, and say, Oh, it's, it's, you know, being, you know, healthy is being able to run or being able to, you know, lift weights and like that. I mean, it's always something to do with physical health. Yep. Um, and I think that's what most people outside of, you know, my students probably would define health as well as just being physically active, you know, having a fitness level that, you know, that's, that's just such a small part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me being healthy, I think health is really being able to do what you want to do without restrictions. Hmm. And that comes to everything with eating and movement and sleeping and breathing, everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. if, if you, if you're a healthy individual, then you should be able to do whatever you want without restrictions. And I think so many times when it comes to health, we try to restrict ourselves to be healthy, which in my eyes is unhealthy. Yep. That's a great point. So, I mean, that's my definition, right? Like right now I am, I'd probably have spent half of this, um, half of this conversation in a squat position. Nice. And it's, I can do that without restriction. Um, you know, like last night, my wife and I celebrated mother's day and we had a, you know, we had a, a, a dinner and the dinner had a lot of food and a lot of different food. And I felt okay eating whatever I wanted because I feel like I'm healthy enough right. to do that. You know, yep. I don't feel like I need to restrict myself and count my calories. Um, so that's just what I think being healthy is, is just doing what you can without restriction. Yeah. I think that's a great definition. And I think health is not perfection. Like I think we've gotten into this weird funk where people think they have to do what they think is the exact health behavior all the time. And, and it creates really shitty conversations with themselves, which are inherently very unhealthy. So exactly. Yeah. I think demystifying, you know, what healthy means, what health is, you know, beyond just the absence of disease or being physically fit. Um, and, you know, a big point that comes on, comes to mind for me is just making progress every day. And progress might not mm-hmm. mean physical. It, it can mean mental. It can mean mm-hmm. going to bed 10 minutes earlier is progress. And I think that, I think a big thing that that does, if you adopt that definition, is it allows anyone to to identify as a healthy person with, yeah. with no um, set template to their current state. And I think health is an aspiration, which is not aspirations are things that you are striving towards, but you're never actually going to reach. It's like an asymptote, yeah. like you're never going to yeah. get there. But yeah. I think, yeah, I just think if we change the, cause I mean, the more TFC has kind of gone along, the more I've realized that the, the true mission, which I don't think will ever change is to, help create positive change in health culture. And I think right now we have this culture that 
is probably going to be in a bit of limbo where people are, you know, the times of confusion are oftentimes precipitated by major shakeups, which we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And I think gives a beautiful opportunity to reframe um, cultural values and beliefs to ones that align more with our biology, with happiness, with joy. And um, yeah, I think the definition of health will be this ongoing definition or this ongoing conversation within the Footner program of trying to figure out like, mm-hmm. what is the best way for us to collectively explain the meaning of health as it continually evolves. But I think uh, I really like the one that you brought up, being able to do anything you want without restrictions, because that is a, you know, if you're defining, if you're defining something like health, you have to define it broadly because everyone's going to be able mm-hmm. to, should be able to paint it in their own way. Um, awesome, man. Well, thanks for taking the time this morning, Brent. I really appreciate yeah. it. I know this is yeah, thank you. A, an early one for you out on no the uh, West Coast. Um, thanks for the conversation. Really, yeah. I really love the points that we talked about and it's definitely one that I'll have a good listen as soon as it goes live. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that you know this conversation benefited you in some way. Um, if people want to find you, Brent, what's the best way? I guess Real Kinetic Fitness on Instagram. Is there any other platform? Um, that's my only platform right now is cool. uh, at Real Kinetic Fitness on Instagram. Uh, I am working on a website and some other um, some other platforms, but right now um, that is the best. Powerful. Thank you so much for taking the time, and to everyone yeah, listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later. <laughs>